Well, good morning, North Star. It's so good to be with you today. For those of you in person and those joining online, I want to take you back in time. About 15 years ago, I had uh, finished a couple of years of classes at Kennesaw State University and I was transferring to the University of Georgia for a major that I wanted to pursue. And when I got to the University of Georgia, there's one thing that's uh, consistent of any large school, Kennesaw State, Valdosta State, Georgia Southern, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, any of these big schools, there's one thing that's true. When you show up, there's like a million and one things you can get involved with. Whatever uh, campus ministry, sororities, fraternities, uh, whatever intramural sport you want to play, there's something for you. And there's also a lot of charities to get involved with. And so when I got there, I had a friend that said, Kevin, you really need to get involved with this charity that helps kids with HIV and AIDS. And I said, "Ah, I don't know a lot about that cause. I don't know if that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, Maybe I'll get involved with a charity that helps kids with cancer or um, special needs, just something that I had some relation to or could experience. But my friend was a really good salesperson. You guys know people like that? He's like, hey, there's a couple reasons you really need to get involved. He said, number one, he said, uh, the football coaches are involved. At the time, it was Mark Richt and Vince Dooley was still involved. He said, if you get involved, you get to hang out with Mark Richt and Vince Dooley. That was pretty motivating to me. Uh, But I wasn't completely sold. And then he said this. He said, here's another reason. He said, there are a 1,000 college students at the University of Georgia that serve in this program, that volunteer and help, a 1,000 of them, and 80% are girls. Sold. (laughs) Okay, I'm not telling you my motives were good. My wife's here. She hates when I tell that story. But it's, it's true. I signed up to help kids with AIDS to hang out with Mark Richt and Vince Dooley and college girls. But here's what I learned. I learned there are 12,000 kids in the state of Georgia affected by HIV and AIDS. 12,000 is the second highest rate of pediatric AIDS in the country. New York is number one, Georgia's number two. These are kids, they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't make a bad decision. They were born to this world with a lot of things stacked up against them. And the organization we worked with, 90% of those kids, they came from family incomes of $10,000 or less a year. So think about that. You've got the disease, you've got social stigma, you've got poverty on top of it. And the organization we raised money for did two things. They did mentoring programs. Think kind of like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, but specifically for kids with HIV and AIDS. And the second thing they did was one-day special events. My favorite event they ever did, they turned Sanford Stadium in Athens into a giant movie theater. They brought kids up from across the state. They were going to be on the field between the hedges watching the Incredibles on the Jumbotron. Any Incredibles fans in here? I love the Incredibles. So we thought they were going to be excited. They were in the football stadium getting to watch the movie, and here's what we learned. Most of them didn't care anything about the stadium. They didn't care anything about the movie. They were excited to have a college student to hang out with for the day, somebody to call a friend. And the little girl that my group was with that day, she was six years old, and she was most excited about free Chick-fil-A that was coming at the end of the movie. Seriously, that's what she talked about, and I'm competitive, so when the food got there, we plowed over like five or ten other people, got her the very first sandwich. We went back, we sat down at the big G on the 50-yard line, cut it in half, and she inhaled the first half of it like you have never seen somebody eat a Chick-fil-A sandwich. But then she did something that was surprising. She took the other half and she wrapped it back up. And I was like, this this is what you've been talking about the whole time. Don't you want to finish the rest of the sandwich? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I really do, but I want to save it for my grandmother at home who never gets to have Chick-fil-A either. 
50% of the kids there that day had lost one parent. This little girl lost both and lived at home with her grandmother. When I think about that, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 15 years ago, but it was a moment that changed the trajectory of my life. God put a burden on my heart of what I wanted to do changed, what I was passionate about changed because of an interaction there. And I believe for those of us that are following Jesus that he has a burden for every single one of us. And it may happen in a big moment like that or it may happen as you're reading scripture or he's speaking to you, but God has a burden for every single one of us. And as we are reading the story of David and Goliath this morning and continuing through, we're gonna see that God had a burden for David. If you got your app or a copy of God's word, will you look at 1 Samuel chapter 17? Verse 19, it starts by saying this, David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. All right, some of you have been in this series for a couple weeks. You may have grown up in church. You've heard this story before, but if you haven't, let me just make sure you got the picture here. Samuel is a prophet. Samuel was told, there's gonna be a new king. It's gonna be one of Jesse's sons. Samuel shows up at Jesse's house. Jesse parades out all his sons except David. And because David was the runt of the litter, he was out in the field. He was tending the sheep. And Samuel's like, no, it's not one of these. And they finally get David. And David ends up being anointed as the next king. Um, but then he's back when we enter the story here, back tending the sheep. Uh, somebody said it this way, that he had been anointed king, but he had not yet been appointed king. And so he's going back to these mundane activities and then his dad's taking him from one mundane activity to the next and saying, hey, will you go take your brother some food? Look right here, it says, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. And soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. And as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out to each day to defy Israel. It just... This is not the Goliath shows up the day that David happens to be there. This is not a one-time deal. Every day, the, the Israelite army gets ready. They put on their armor. They go up to the battle. And every day, Goliath comes out, and he's taunting them. And every day, they run away. It says, the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He'll give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Some of you, that's real motivating for right now. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that this story is true, God, and we can learn something from it today that we can apply to our lives. Help us to leave here this morning closer to you than we were when we walked in. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's interesting that this happens every single day. 
Every day, Israelite army gets ready. They get, they get psyched up. They're ready for the fight. They come out. And every day, this Goliath, this giant comes out, and they hit the road. Um, you know, we focus a lot on, and we're going to get there in a couple weeks, where David did ultimately defeat this giant. He defeated Goliath, but before he could ever defeat this giant called Goliath, David had to defeat another giant. And the other giant that David had to defeat, defeat was the giant of complacency. See, the other Israelites, they had become complacent. They had, they had been there, they had seen the routine, and they just kind of said, this is the way it is. We're gonna come out every day and he's gonna do this and we're gonna go back and that's what life's gonna be at. Like uh, the word complacency means this, self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by the unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. Isn't that crazy? That so many of us, we have become complacent. Uh, in a book called Fuzzy Memories, Jack Handy tells the story of how he'd go to school every day and there would be a bully that would pick on him and the bully would ask him to give him his lunch money. And every day he handed him his lunch money. And finally he said, I've had enough of this. I'm not giving him my lunch money anymore. I'm gonna learn to fight back. And he went and he started taking karate lessons. Well, after a few lessons, the guy teaching karate said, I'm not gonna do this for free. You're gonna have to give me some money. And so he started charging him for each lesson. And finally he said, you know what? I decided it was just easier to pay the bully than it was to pay for the lessons. But we think how often that happens in our life where it's just easier to be complacent. It's easier to maintain the status quo. And complacency is a giant that every single one of us have to face. Don't miss this right here. David defeated the giant of complacency because he had a God-given burden. Something happened within David. He heard something and, and he had a burden that none of these others had. And he defeated the giant of complacency. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I wanna ask three questions that every single one of us have to ask ourselves. Three questions that we've got to ask if we're gonna defeat the giant of complacency in our lives. The first question is this, what is my God-given burden? I want you to ask it of yourself right now. What's your God-given burden? In verse 23, it says this, then David heard him. Shout his usual taunt. Then David heard him. You realize the giant had been taunting Israel. David wasn't the first to hear it. All the rest of the army had heard it. But when David heard it, when David saw it, when David experienced it, it struck a chord with David in a way it landed differently with him than it had landed with anybody else. And that happens to each of us at times. God speaks to us. Something happens and we say, What's going on is not right. Have you ever had a burden? John Knox is a great theologian from Scotland. He's the guy that started the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, and he just had a burden for his country. He was praying that that God would save his country, and every night he wouldn't sleep. He would be up crying out to God. And finally, his wife was like, you gotta come to bed. This isn't good for you. And this is what he said. How can I sleep when my land is not saved? And this was his prayer. Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Ultimately, God gave him Scotland. God shook Scotland for him because one man had a burden. He had something on his heart that God had given him that he couldn't say no to. You know, I gotta be real with you. When I think of David and showing up here, remember, David is the little guy. 
David's the shepherd, and he shows up, and his bigger, older brothers who have the armor, who are, they're in the fight, they're the ones running away. Don't you think if you're David, sometimes you'd say, what, you guys are a bunch of wimps. Like, what's the deal? How, how come this every time? And, and saying, well, why don't you do something about it? How often in life do we look at our, our community and we complain about it? or we criticize the culture, or we look at our country and we say it's not going the way we want it to and we complain about it and we want somebody else to do something about it. But David didn't do that. David had a personal burden from God. I love North Star because I think this is a church that has a burden for this community. It really is. It's a church that's collectively passionate about a community, but it's not just collective. There are individual burdens that people have. You saw in uh, the stuff Mike was talking about, the special needs. Some of you were there for that. Some of you came and packed meals last week because God gave you a burden for it. I think of Bob Kelly and what he does with Hog and how he has a burden for people that are going through trauma and have needs. I think of your pastor, Mike Lynch. You know, I don't think people always realize this, but Mike is a spiritual giant in this community because he has a burden on his heart that this community would have spiritual leaders. You know, he has a thing once a month here called Lunch with a Leader where people, do you know like 70% of the people that show up that do not go to North Star. They are leaders in this community that show up and it's all because God has given Mike a burden that he said he wanted to do something about. Here's what we gotta know. My burden may not be your burden and your burden may not be your burden, but God gives every single one of us a personal burden And oftentimes, the thing that we're most burdened about is the thing that makes us mad. You look out and you say, I'm angry. It shouldn't be that way. That often is the root of what God is calling you and challenging you to do. So number one, you gotta ask yourself this question. What is my God-given burden? What's my God-given burden? All right, now you gotta look at this next part. Once you've identified it, once you know God has called you to do this, the second question is, will I run to my God-given burden? Will I run to my God-given burden? All right, you could not see a more opposite scene of what's happening here. The first one is what's happening with all the men of Israel. So in 1 Samuel 17, 24, it says, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, him being Goliath, they began to run away in fright. They saw him and they ran. Think about how embarrassing that is. Anybody ever been on a sports team before? Anybody? And like, there's usually the pregame thing. Like tonight when the Hawks go out, right before it starts, they're gonna turn down the lights and everybody's gonna be excited and they're gonna announce the players, whether it's volleyball or softball or baseball, we gather around, we put our hand in the middle, we say something, go team on three. This is so embarrassing. Let me tell you what this would be like. What's happening with the army of Israel would be like if the Atlanta Falcons got ready. They got their pads on, their helmets on. They've gotten the pregame speech. They're pumped up. They're excited to go. They run through the tunnel. They're playing all the rise up stuff. Everybody's cheering. It's really exciting. And then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the other end and Tom Brady walks on the field and they run back into the locker room. (laughs) I mean, I know that's trauma for some of you in here, but that's, I would have told a Georgia Tech story, but I'm trying to be nice to Mike. So, um, but it's crazy they, I mean, they just ran away. These are warriors who they see a guy and they run the other direction. And look at how that's different than what David did. 
in, in 1 Samuel 17, 28, this is further on. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Everybody else is running that way, and David is running toward him. And I love that word, quickly, quickly ran out to meet him. In the height of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr. was in jail in Birmingham. And somebody had gotten a, a letter, a, a paper to him in the jail. It was a newspaper article where a letter had been published by eight fellow ministers, eight clergy. These aren't the detractors. These aren't the people that are supposed to be against him. These are other people who are supposedly following God and doing what God's called them to do. And basically the sum of their letter, it's called a call for unity, is they're telling Martin, hey, we like what you're doing, but you need to slow down a little bit. Here's a quote from the, uh, the letter they wrote. They said, we recognize the natural impatience of people who feel that their hopes are slow in being realized. We realize there's a natural impatience there, but this is what they said. But we are convinced that these demonstrations are unwise and untimely. Hey, we get that you're, you're kind of impatient. You feel like something needs to happen, but it's just not the right time. It's just not the right season for this. Martin Luther King started writing. He actually wrote initially in the margins of that paper, and then he took out other letters. You can read it. It's called A Letter from a Birmingham Jail. But part of his letter, he wrote this. I began thinking about the fact that I stand in the middle of two forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency. There's that word. Here's what he said. It's made up in part of Negroes who, as a result of long years of oppression, are so drained of self-respect and a sense of somebodiness that they have adjusted to segregation. They've just gotten comfortable with it. That's what happened with the Israelite army. They've just gotten used to losing. They'd gotten comfortable being there. And then he said, you know what? But there are some others too. There's a few middle-class Negroes who because of a degree of academic and economic security and because in some ways they profit by segregation, they've become insensitive to the problems of the masses. Some of you have just gotten so used to being this way that you're okay with it. And others of you have gotten comfortable. You've gotten a, a certain standard of living and you don't actually wanna do anything that gets rid of that comfort, that, that erodes that. And so you're sitting on the sidelines and not acting. In one of his speeches, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about the fierce urgency of now. Like, we've got to do something, and we've got to do it now. Here's my question. What is the God-given burden you have that you should be running to? What is it? Maybe it's a ministry that you should start. Maybe it's somebody that's unlovable that you're supposed to love. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood that you're supposed to care for. Maybe it's a, a child that you're supposed to invest in. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's just calling the church office and saying, God's given me a burden. I wanna get involved with what you're doing. I wanna be a part of it. I believe that God gives every single one of us a burden and that we should run to that burden the way that David ran to Goliath. So what's my God-given burden? And will I run to my God-given burden? Here's the question. If we have one, why are we not running to it? What's the biggest reason people aren't doing what God's called them to do? I think it comes to this third question, which is what is the trade-off of my God-given burden? What's the trade-off? When we chase after the burden God's given us, there is an upside. 
It's pretty incredible when something exciting happens. We all know that David eventually defeats Goliath, and that's exciting, and people celebrate, and it's good news. In fact, here in this text, they highlight the benefits, the reward of defeating Goliath. Take a look with me again. In 25, it says, have you seen the giant, the men ask? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills them. He's going to give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Look, y'all, catch this. David already heard that, but David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? David's saying, do what? Is that, did you really say that? And, and so he says, what will they get for killing this Philistine and doing all these things? And they replied again, yes, that is the reward for killing him. There was a reward that was to be gotten. But guess what? All the other soldiers had that same reward out there, yet they didn't do anything about it. Why didn't they do anything about it? Because they just decided that the risk was not worth the reward. Yeah, it was great what you could get, but they weren't willing to give up what they had. They were worried about what it's gonna cost them. Okay. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you, when you were growing up, you collected something? You collected things. Some of you, like, some people collected Beanie Babies. Some people collected uh, uh, rocks. Some people are into that. Um, some people collected snow globes, all these things. All right, when I was growing up, I collected baseball cards. And the number one card the card that everybody my age wanted. We've been talking about it with some of the guys in the band. It was like, this was the card that everybody wanted. It was the 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey Jr. rookie card. I mean, it was the card. I've got one right here, and it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it says, you see, this is a mint condition. I mean, this thing is, it's the real deal. All right, if you don't like baseball cards, you never followed it, just hold with me for a second. Let me explain to you. If I wanted that card right there, if I wanted this, there's really ultimately three ways I can get that card. All right, way number one is this. You go to a store that sells packs of baseball cards. Y'all seen these before? They're usually up front by the cash register. Um, it's the cheapest way to get a baseball card, but it's the least likely way to get the one you want. So you go up, you buy the pack of baseball cards, you open it up, there's a stick of bubble gum in there, tastes like cardboard, um, and you look through the cards and you hope you find the one you wanted. Bad news, I never got Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card that way. All right, way number two is this. You go to a store that sells collectibles. They got autograph memorabilia. They got the card. I was telling somebody this earlier. It's interesting now, I know for some of you that are younger, this is hard to imagine, but we didn't have the internet to know what the price was on it. So every month there was a magazine called Beckett that would come in the mail that told us what this card was worth that month. And the store of the collectibles, they got the card. It's in a flimsy plastic sleeve. It's in a hard plastic case. It's got a price tag on it. It says something like $200. Okay, my family was not into spending $200 on a baseball card. So option two did not work for me. So option three is this. I gotta go to somebody who's got the card. I go to Steve or I go to Larry and I say, hey, I'm willing to trade you. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, but even though they're the same size, same thickness, they are not created equal. I can't just give you some random card and you give me King of Junior. I've got to give a card or a bunch of cards that are worth something to get the card that I really wanted. I've got to be willing to give up something I want to get the thing that I really want. So many people are not doing what God's called them to do because they don't want to give up what they've got right now to give what God has for them. 
They don't want to let go of what they've got in this hand to get what God really has for them in their life. And I'm telling you, one of my heroes, a guy named Paulus, where I know, he says, every single one of us, if God moves in our life, we've got to have compassion. God is moving us to, to be compassionate, but he says this, compassion means you're willing to be disturbed. Compassion means you're willing to be disturbed. He says, if you're actually compassionate, it's going to disturb your schedule. God's giving you a burden, you're gonna go after it, it's gonna disturb your schedule. You know what else it's gonna disturb? It's gonna disturb your emotions. There are so many of us that we just wanna tune it out. We don't even wanna know what's going on because we don't wanna have to deal with it. David could have easily said, hey, my job's just to bring food. You guys have fun with that. I'm going back over here. It's gonna disturb your wallet sometimes. You do what God's called you to do. Sometimes it costs us something. But I'm telling you that the trade-off is worth it. If you understand your God-given burden, if you run to it, and if you'll make the trade-off, it is worth it. What God has for you, give up the comfort, give up the stability, give up that to do what God has for you this morning. I believe like David, we've all got a burden, and we've first got to defeat the giant of complacency. And then we got to run to that burden, and we got to have the trade-off, but what I can't help but miss when I look in this text is what really drove David. You know, what really drove David wasn't that reward. What really drove David was his relationship with God. It's his relationship with Jesus. That was what was different for him than all the other uh, members of the army. He had a relationship with God. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I'm gonna tell you this morning, yeah, I believe he's got a burden for you and you need to chase after it. But I'm telling you this, the first thing you gotta do is have a relationship with him. He came to this earth, Jesus in the flesh, because we were separated from God because of our sin and he died on a cross so that we can have an eternal relationship with him. I don't want you to miss that this morning. Maybe as I've been talking, God has been speaking to you and saying that he's got a burden for you. Maybe you came in, you already knew it and this was the encouragement you needed to go do something. Or maybe there's, God is stirring something in you that wants to be different. Here is my prayer. Don't leave here today without committing to go after that burden. All over the house, would you just stand with me? Would you guys just stand? The band's gonna come in a minute and we're gonna sing another song, but I wanna ask you two questions. I'm gonna ask you every head bowed, every eye closed. The first question I wanna ask you, I'm not gonna ask you to step out or do anything, but just because I wanna pray for you, I wanna know this morning, if when I said the most important thing you need is a relationship with him, you need a relationship with Jesus, and you said, Kevin, I don't know if I have that. Here's what I know, I wanna be able to pray for you. So this morning, if that's you and you say, God, God, I know that I need to know you. I know I need a relationship with you. Kevin, will you pray for me? Would you guys raise your hand? That's, that's you this morning. So many in here, God, I pray that you would have the courage to make that decision. The second thing is, how many of you, as we've been here this morning and through the music and through the sermon and through this time, God is stirring in your heart and you know that there is something God has for you. You know in your heart that there is something he has for you. There's a burden you have. And you wanna say, Kevin, I wanna pray that I would defeat the giant of complacency. God, pray, I wanna pray, would you just raise your hand? 
all over this house. I believe that God has given this church and this community burdens. And I believe that if we will defeat the giant of complacency and we'll run after those, God will use us to impact our families, our neighborhoods, our community and the world. God, this morning, thank you for these people. God, thank you for the burden that you've given us. God, I pray right now, God, do not let us have complacency stand in our way. God, you have given us something that we need to chase after. And God, I pray we'd have the courage to run after it. And God, to be willing to make those trade-offs. God, we know that you are worth it. God, give us the strength today to follow you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.